Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hallo und willkommen zu die Gegenpressing Podcast, der Bundesliga Podcast von der Footballgrad Network. My name is Manuel Feit. I am not Bryce Dunn. He is unfortunately not with us today. Couldn't make it. So I am hosting the podcast today. I, I am the creator of the Football Grad Network and uh, the USA content area manager for Transfermarkt as of January 1st. Really excited to be back on this podcast, to, ho to host this podcast for its first edition in 2020. And to help me host this podcast is Chris Williams. Chris, so good to be back. It is, Manu. I'd quite forgotten how um, how energy sapping football is. Obviously, I was over in Germany over the weekend doing a couple of games, um, and I was well out of practice. Um, so, hoping to quicken that up because um, I'm back over next week. Yeah, and I mean the content that you produced, uh, just fantastic, both on Fußballstadt but also on Forbes, where you write full time on the Bundesliga and English football. Really fascinating to see it all, Chris. I'm surprised you did see it because at one point I didn't know if my, I still had my fingers because I didn't know if they were working or not because Leipzig was cold but whew, Berlin was um, was a whole new ball game um, but I know we've got a guest on who will just laugh at my cold weather problems because he's in Austria at the moment. Yeah and um, I'm really excited to have him on the show because we met in Salzburg and you're talking about cold stadiums. I am. I believe he had to sit outside. I had a I had a cozy box at this game, but he had to sit outside. I believe Tom Mittler from the Other Bundesliga podcast, among other things. Tom, it's so wonderful to have you on. I'm really excited to have you on um, because I mean a lot of things happened in the Bundesliga, and the big topic, um, if you haven't guessed it, Erling Haaland, you will definitely help us discussing that today. But tell us what else other than the Other Bundesliga podcast do you do? Oh, well, first of all, thanks a lot for having me on. Yeah, really nice to be back on here with you again. Um, I've got an update from Salzburg-Liverpool as well. I was given a heated box in the end. I can tell Whoa. you that now. Exclusive reveal to start off the pod. I uh, Yeah, I didn't have to cope with minus five degrees temperature or whatever it was that night. Um, but yeah, what else do I do? I do a lot of things. I work for a radio station here called FM4, which I would say is uh, Austria's best radio station, although I'm biased. Um And I'm also an actor as well. So covering football, acting and working on the radio, that's plenty enough to keep me busy. You do some match commentating as well, don't you? That's right. Yeah, I do a lot of commentary that's, uh, for, for the Austrian Bundesliga and also for, um, for the German Bundesliga as well, usually for Dortmund and also for the DFB. So you can regularly hear me commentating, I think in North America, actually, 
on the yeah like on the German under twenty one side and the the German national side as well. So maybe yeah. some people will recognise their voice and they're they're not sure where from. Maybe some German football fans over in North America. There you have find it. Find me that. Tom Midler, man of many trades. Well, Tom. <laughs> Um, I'm excited to have you on because the first topic that we want to discuss is Schalke against Gladbach. That was the Friday night opener of the Bundesliga Rückrunde. Um, it, that's always a big match in Germany. You know, the, the return of the Rückrunde. There's, there's a, it's not quite like that in England where there is a bit of a dividing line between the, the first half of the season and the second half, the Hinrunde and the Rückrunde, as we call them in Germany. And the opener of the Rückrunde was Schalke against Gladbach. Now, This was a game between two new coaches in this league, um, David Wagner, of course, and Marco Rosen. I think, in my opinion, anyways, two coaches that already had quite a big impact. Um, David Wagner, of course, I mean, Chris will probably have a few words to say on him because he, I think he knows his work quite well. But Marco Rosen, are you surprised? I mean, yes, they lost this game 2-0 to Schalke. Yes, Gladbach don't, don't seem quite like the title contender at the moment that they were in the beginning of the season. Yet at the same time, they have played some of the most refreshing football in Germany in, in the first half um, of this 2019-20 season. Are you surprised at all what Marco Rosen has done in Gladbach? Given yeah, that I mean, he worked in Salzburg previously? It's hard not to be... Uh, surprised to some extent just at how quickly he's done it. I think I'm firmly in the camp of people who believed that uh, he would do a good job at Gladbach, but to see him have such such an effect so quickly, you know, I think for the first four or five weeks of this season, most people kind of thought it was just a flash in the pan. Um, and the fact that they're still there or thereabouts uh, in January, then that, that really says a lot about what Rosa has been able to do there. Um, and I, I did see actually the the Schalke game in the end, and it was it was end to end stuff. It was a, a really breathtaking game, really exciting game. And maybe you've just got to put that one down to bad luck. You know, you can't win them all unless you're Liverpool. Apparently, you can't win them all. And uh, you know, sometimes it, maybe the game could have gone the other way as well. It wasn't. You can't write them off necessarily just because they've come back after the break and uh, and yeah, started off on the wrong foot. But I think on the whole. He, he's really done such a good job and I know how, how happy the club are with him and, and how happy the fans are with him and you just wonder if early success almost makes a rod for his own back now that if Gladbach did uh, fall down the table a little bit and finish maybe fourth or fifth or something then potentially people would be quite unhappy with the way that's gone but actually from the start of the season they probably would have taken that. Yeah, I, I was sitting in on front of the TV and I just thought this this was breathless. Um, it was such a wonderful display of what the Bundesliga is really about. And yes, Schalke did win this game 2-0, but I really thought that this game could have also gone the, the other way um, with the amount of chances that we saw on each side. I think really, and Chris, to bring you into this conversation, there was so much talk about Schalke needing a striker, right, to really complement that that David Wagner system to really get them going in the second half of the season. And they brought in Grigoric from Augsburg and he scores. <laughs> you know, it's almost like they went out and said, okay, well, this is the guy that maybe we need. We identify, uh, identify him and brought him in. And voila, it, it seems like almost a perfect fit, doesn't it? Yeah, it does seem a perfect fit. Obviously, he's had a... <laughs> He's got himself on the score sheet immediately and we're going to talk about someone else who did that maybe a little bit more spectacularly later. But 
Yeah, Schalke, um, we've been saying it for maybe 12 months. I mean, Guido Bergstaller, when he first arrived, was wonderful. But I don't know if he burnt out. Maybe he st- he stagnated, and I'm going to say the whole club did that under um, Tedesco. But now, playing this way they do under David Wagner, it has been missing that striker. And you'll know, and the listeners will know that I spoke to Jochen Schneider, what, two, three months ago, asked him that very you know, topic, do um, Schalke need a striker and he said no but he said it with a smile on his face but he, he, do, he did believe that the, the plays they already had it was just a real case of unfortunate bad luck that they, they'd had and the bad timings injuries had come together but I mean Schalke have been playing wonderful football they have been since the, the very start of this campaign and I remember going and seeing them against Paderborn which wasn't that much which doesn't feel like that long ago but it was a long time now I think it was about match day four or five and, and they had a poor first half and an excellent second half. Um, I know they didn't have a poor first half against Gladbach, but they did show that their ability to just kick up that extra gear and score a couple of quick goals, which they've done. And yeah, and we, you and I have, have been to Gladbach this season and they were unfortunately beaten. And that was a match again, Manu, that they shouldn't have been beaten in. They just didn't take their chances. Jan Sommer uh, made a brutal error, um, which which helped with that but these are two teams that have been playing excellent football in, in a very Bundesliga type of way very exciting type of way and they are a joy to watch and Tom's quite right you can't win them all even Liverpool draw the odd game you know, 20, you know 21 wins out of 22 even the top teams will draw one game you can't win them all but um, these two teams are, are up there and I completely agree what the Thomas said if Gladbach were to finish fourth you offer them that at the start of this season with a new manager, with the people that they'd lost, especially with Hazard. I think they would have bitten your hands off. So I do hope that people at Gladbach don't think of it as a disappointment. The the stewards I spoke to at the end of that fixture we were at, man, who certainly didn't. They were loving life under Marco Rosa. Yeah, absolutely they did. And I, I think that in Gladbach, a lot of things are also not just about results, but also about the style that they play. I mean, this is, this is a side that in the 70s defined itself through the... You know, the era of the falls, the young falls, the, the attacking style of football and the exciting brand of football that they played, uh, it's a big part. And I think a big reason why they, they separated ways with Dieter Hacking, who, who almost got them to the Champions League last year, and they ended up going with Marco Rose, was not necessarily results-based, but it was about an identity, a style of football that the club can identify with. And... I, from what I've certainly seen, I think Marco Rosa brings that and it will take time um, like these things usually do. Uh, Tom, I really quickly want to get your opinion on Grigoric, um, an Austrian national team player. Struggled a little bit in Augsburg. Um, I think he, he quickly saw that that club maybe was um, a step too small for him. Um, Schalke, though, it's a completely different caliber. I mean, this is the third largest club in, in, in German football, not based on titles, but just in the amount of people that follow the club, the amount of membership it has, and the financial abilities. Um, do you think he's going to be a good fit there in the long term? Yeah, I just I find it interesting, something that you mentioned there about Gregoric maybe seeing Augsburg as a kind of stepping stone. And it's funny that also Hinteregger, the Austrian national team colleague, um, who's now at Frankfurt, you know, he kind of also used Augsburg as a stepping stone. It's just funny that that club should end up being this sort of weird hub for Austrian talent to uh, pop in, make a bit of a name for themselves and secure a move to a larger club. 
within, you know, both within just the space of a few months of each other. But I was really pleased to see Grigoric get on the score sheets for Schalke. You know, it's the perfect way to just just start things off on the right foot. You don't have to worry about a goal drought. You made an immediate impact. And just from from my sort of selfish point of view, I really I really hope that he does well because he's kind of a very confidence based player. I mean, of course, anyone who needs goals is is they they need confidence as well. And uh, if he can sort of take the momentum of this move and just take that in his stride and say, you know, I've, I've moved up to, yeah, well, as you mentioned, one of the top clubs in Germany now. If he can cut it at that level, I'll also be really looking out for him at the Euros this summer. And boy, Austria could do with a, a striker in, conf- you know, in, in good form and, and with a lot of confidence going into these Euros after the disaster of Euro 2016 as well. So there's plenty of people down here south of the border that will be watching Schalke eagerly for the rest of this season. Yeah, I think a lot of people are really curious to see where Schalke are going to end up. They are now fifth, um, even on points, with 33 points with Borussia Dortmund, um, two points behind Gladbach, who sit in third, of course, three points behind Bayern, who are, who are second behind RB Leipzig. Um, Want to move on to a different club, another Austrian though, Tom, and you guys pointed this out on the other Bundesliga Twitter account, which, by the way, if you haven't followed yet, please do. Um, it's a fantastic account to follow. It really brings the Austrian Bundesliga to life, I think, for English speaking for an English-speaking audience. It's Oliver Glasner at Wolfsburg. And I know, Chris, you probably have a few things to say about Wolfsburg as well, so don't worry, I'll get to you as well. But I, here I thought this was a coach that could really bring some culture to this club in terms of football. It has a really clear playing style, but at the same time also had to fill the boots of a coach that brought them to the Europa League. And the separation between Wolfsburg and Bruno Labbadia in many ways was somewhat surprising given that Labbadia, A, first rescued them from relegation to Bundesliga 2, and then just the season after got them into the Europa League. Oliver Glasner had some success in the Europa League this year, but it, the, the results in the Bundesliga have been rather mixed. And this latest game against Köln, the 3-1 defeat against the Köln side that has struggled um, for parts in the first half of the season. How, how do you see his work, Tom? And is it just a matter of him having to implement a very, very difficult football idea that just takes some time to set roots? Yeah, Glasner has a very specific and quite unusual style these days. Um, he, he's a little bit more old school, I suppose, in this kind of discipline that he needs to be dragging out of his players. And I think Wolfsburg as well is kind of a difficult place to go as a manager because you mentioned you know, bringing some culture to Wolfsburg. They, they seem to me from, from, the, from down here in Austria like a Bundesliga club who maybe don't have this the same uh, definition or the same identity of some of the clubs. They don't have their their sort of place in German football. That uh, they don't have an expectation of being, uh, you know, relegation candidates or or European candidates or whatever. They they kind of can be anything, and it's difficult. They're not necessarily known for being one of the most passionate or exciting clubs either. And Glasner's come in, and he demands a very, very exact standard from his players. And I thought it would take him quite a long time, actually, to to figure that out and, and to get the players in that he needs and to really identify who plays in a way that works for him and how can he get them operating at full potential. And 
in a similar way to to what I mentioned earlier, they're also kind of falling victim a bit to their early season form because you know you have to remember it's only a few months ago back in October they were going into the game against Leipzig I think it was in the cup and at that point they were the the last team in all of German professional football to be unbeaten and then they got yeah they got rolled over 6-1 that day against an RB Leipzig side who now are you know we know how good that side is now and they got turned over that day 6-1 and it's kind of all gone downhill from there and you even wonder if, if Glasner kind of lost confidence a bit. I think they lost to Freiburg as well. And at that point, he changed away from his 3-4-3 formation, um, which is really all we ever saw him use here in Austria with Lask. But yeah, a key theme of that Lask side that he did so well with was that he found these players that play this really, really disciplined style. And I think it's quite difficult for some players. And some good players were kind of left out in the cold by that. Um, because they they weren't going to buy into exactly what he needed them to do. And other players, maybe players who were seen as being less talented, they thrived on the fact that Glasner told them exactly what they had to do at all times. And the players were coming off the pitch saying, oh, we absolutely love it. You know, whatever the situation is, I know exactly what my role is and I know what I have to do. And, you know, he, they, he used that to build a, a very small core squad of players. It was really only like 14 players that he used at Lask. He got them promoted from the second division, took them up, into into Europe in Austria as well. So he did such a great job there that he's obviously a coach with, with plenty of talents, but it could be a tough job for him at, at Wolfsburg going forward as well. I'm, I'm not sure it might take him a few years to actually implement things in the way he wants to do uh, to do so. And, and will Wolfsburg give him the time for that? And then there's this also interesting kind of triangle in the fact that Lask here in Austria now have uh, Valerian Ismael, at the helm and he's a coach who was you know he's looking to rebuild his career after having a really poor spell in charge of Wolfsburg a few years ago so that's just a sort of strange coincidence coming around like that as well and everyone here in Austria basically thought that Lask would fall off a cliff this season after Glasner left because of how specific his style was and the, the expectation was certainly that they won't be able to continue uh, punching above their weight so much when Glasner goes and it's not really doing Glasner any favors that Lasker actually doing even better this season as well. It's, it's such an odd one for me because I I do think, especially when he came in and that 3-4-3 system, that was a huge selling point maybe to me and why I thought Jörg Schmatke was right, the sporting director was right to bring in Oliver Glasner because it was such a new style of playing and the 3-4-3 formation is something that has made a lot of inroads in German football, most because of what Eintracht Frankfurt achieved with a similar style of play under Adi Hütter, who's of course another Austrian, right? So I thought, okay, well, in some ways this makes sense. But Chris, we were there at that relegation game against Kiel when Bruno Labbadia rescued them. And we have many times spoken about how odd of a club is. I think we started this podcast around the time when Julian Draxler said the best thing about Wolfsburg is the one-hour train ride to Berlin. You know, um, we know how difficult it can be to get out of <laughs> out of Wolfsburg to Berlin because sometimes that train just doesn't stop there, right? Um, how do you see this entire development? Because Wolfsburg is a club that we have covered a lot. We have spent a lot of time at is a very rich club. Remember, we did a story once on how they have a similar budget to Atletico Madrid. It's not a lack of money, but I mean, 
Tom points out, it's also not really identified as a place that people think about, okay, Wolfsburg, yeah, football. That's not really what people think about when they think about Wolfsburg, right? No, and you are, you are quite right. And you and I have been there a lot, and you only have to look at the traffic at, at Volkswagen shift change over time to see that most people exit the city. And Tom's quite right to, to point out that if you're an outsider looking in, you know, the ground is relatively empty at times. Um, it's not a hundred percent capacity and it doesn't have this natural like place of, of where should it be. And I do think it's because it's a transient city. It, it's a, it's an auto stat, an auto city. Um, you know, the biggest thing about it is a Volkswagen factory and, and people unfortunately don't stay and watch the team because, you know, they live a little bit further out or you know, the, the, the train's packed. You can get into Berlin in an hour. Union Tracks is quite right at the time. You know, you can do that. And I love Wolfsburg. I think it's a, it's a great city to go and visit, but then I'm a VW nut. So I would think that. But if you're looking for a team who you would want to support, would it be, um, would it be Wolfsburg? Probably not. And if you're a player, are you going to go and play there? And, and these are all problems that I think he's had to put, Oliver Glass has had to put up with. And, He's a new manager, and I think sometimes because of the start that Marco Rosa's had at Gladbach and what Julian Nagelsmann's done at Mainz, and if we look back to last season, what Lucien Favre did when he came in at Borussia Dortmund, is these new managers hit the ground running. And, and this is what Glasner did to, to start with. He had a really good opening start to the season. Um, apart from that you know, DFL Cup wiping, where they wiped the floor with, Tom's quite right. But they were picking up results. They were maybe drawing too too many games, but you're going to get that with a new style of play, a new coach, a new philosophy. Um, and then, and then they started unfortunately losing losing ground to teams around them and below them as well, which I think is is a really big problem. I mean, if you look at they've beaten beaten on the weekend by Colonia in fifteenth, but other teams they've been beaten by by Leverkusen at the time were below them. Werder Bremen, Freiburg were there or thereabouts. It's against the sides that they really need to be picking up points. They haven't done that, and and it's it's confidence. Okay, they're beaten two 0 by Bayern Munich, but Bayern are getting back into that sort of ascendancy now, where some clubs will write those two games off um, as six points lost before it's even played. But it's around them really, where um, where they you know they've unfortunately not being able to pick up points. But I hope for, for his sake that nothing hastily is done. Um, if you look at where they are in the Bundesliga, okay, they're not where they were last season, but they're not fighting relegation. They're, they're, all, they're quite a way off fighting relegation. They would need a serious nosedive into that. Um, and, and they're a couple of games from being back into European um, contention. So let's see what this winter break's done for them. But uh, you're quite right. You're both quite right about... The, the system that Glasner's brought in and it is a big change for people at Wolfsburg and, and it is a club that's struggling with an identity problem but I think it will always have that um, I, I think if anywhere else apart from Leverkusen you, you would have that same thing but you and I were in Leverkusen last month and uh, and that is less of a transient place now people live there um, I don't really quite think that's the same with, with Wolfsburg um, and and yeah, unfortunately for them, it's something they're going to have to cope with. Do you think the mood would be the same, though, at Wolfsburg, had they not had that really long unbeaten run at the start of the season? Because obviously they've tailed off a bit since then, but they're still right in the mid-table. The Bundesliga is really close at the moment. There's so many teams around each other. If they hadn't done that and, and then dropped off in the last few months and they just sort of carried on this uh, inconsistent form and ended up in mid-table... 
they've gone through the Europa League group. It, yeah, it wasn't the toughest group in the world, to be fair, with like Alexandria and, and San Etienne and stuff. But they've gone through that. They, they're they one of the very few teams to actually beat Gladbach as well. So Glasner getting one over on his old uh, rival, Rose. You know, would would people still be feeling the way they're feeling, do you think, if, if they hadn't actually just in the last couple of months slipped down a bit? I genuinely think that sometimes people and us in the media do it especially, but fans tend to see things in the in the now and, and maybe look back over what's happened in the past with rose-tinted glasses slightly. I mean, I know they, they did very well and they started the season well. They went unbeaten in the league until match day 10, but they drew half of those fixtures. Um, a couple of them were by 1-0 victories or very close victories, 2-1, go back to the opening day of the season. Um, so it's not like they had they had they steamrolled the teams. At times, Gladbach played some wonderful football and, and unfortunately they tailed off a little bit. But I think with everything we've seen with Glasner is his side were, they were playing well, but they were getting narrow victories and, and that's that's okay if you can keep it up. But at some point, it'll go slightly wrong and, and it did round about match day 10 when you know they were beaten by um, Leverkusen. Sorry, they were beaten by Dortmund and then Leverkusen, and that was just after the hide in the ad against Leipzig. So maybe the the players have got suffered from a, a confidence issue at first um, after that. But I mean, they do have individuals which are which are very very good players, um, and and they've been playing well together. So it is a strange one. But once again, if you look back, you know, two three seasons ago, they were. They were on the cusp of being relegated twice, back-to-back relegations. And Manu said Labadier came in and, and got them out of that. Um, but I think Oliver Glasner can do over long term what, what maybe Marco Rose is doing, which is implement a, a really good style of play. Um, it's just going to take time. And, and German clubs are, are renowned for not pulling the trigger too quickly. Um, so I would expect Oliver Glasner to to get a chance to, to redeem himself. Um, but maybe he shouldn't because... He's two wins off being back into the Europa League places, which for Wolfsburg and the squad they've got, you know, I don't think they are going to be knocking on the door of the top four. Yeah, maybe just to add to that as well, and maybe that also really helps to, to answer your question a little bit, Tom, is I think that coming in on the success of last season under Bruno Labbadia, right, it's almost also questioning the the leadership on top of Glasner. It's like, well, you got rid of Labadia, a successful coach. You brought in this guy with a completely new style of play, with a very experimental style of play from the Austrian Bundesliga, which is still seen in Germany, you know, as a league that, although there is so many good players coming out of there and there are a lot of very experimental coaches and the people in the know know how, how good the work is in Austria at the moment. But fans don't necessarily see that, especially that far up north in the country, right? So I think there, there is something of that that also fuels the criticism. It's like you got rid of a successful coach and you brought in this new guy. Not forgetting that it is about bringing in a new style of play and also forgetting that the season is just a bit different too because last year you had some had a team like Schalke struggling, right? So that's already a team that finished behind you last year but probably shouldn't have based on the, the, the financial caliber and the, 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 the history that's behind the club. Um, it's just not struggling this year. So they're already ahead of you. And then you have um, a side like Freiburg that had a very good start. So they're ahead of you. That's already two places that just didn't exist last year. And you add, you subtract those two places, they're seventh. So I think that is that is a big part of it. And I think that that is something that Glasner and the, the entire 
entire staff at Wolfsburg on top of him as well. That's just something that they will have to justify. It's like, look, okay, yes, we had a successful year last year, but they were circum- it was maybe circumstantial and then to be successful, not just in one or two years, but for five, six, seven years, given the financial investments that Volkswagen is making into this club on a yearly basis, um, we should be doing better, right? I think that's, that is really what it comes down to. And the question then is, how much trust is there in Schmatke's vision? The, the, the sporting director's vision to bring in Glasner and allow him to work. I, I think it's going to be very telling to see um, how that's going to go. Um, so maybe to answer your question, I think it will take some time to see really what's going to happen with Wolfsburg. But boys, I want to move on to um, a moment that we all waited for from the day this transfer was announced. Uh, I think they, Tom, the last time we spoke was, was in Salzburg and we were all speculating that where is Erling Haaland going to go? I, I think we were all pretty much in agreement that the Bundesliga was likely going to be his next stop. We didn't know if it was Leipzig or Dortmund, but it, all signs already pointed to the Bundesliga at that stage. It ended up being Dortmund, probably, in my opinion, because they were the club that actually needed him the most. Uh, Chris and I have spoken about the need of a striker in, in previous podcasts. The fact that Paco Alcazar, I say he's made out of glass. Chris has a different term. Um, but boy... This impact. And before we talk about anything else, I think we all knew he would come in and he would change things for Dortmund. Um, but to come in when it's 3-1 for Augsburg and within moments of him coming on, changing the entire complexity of the game, a 19-year-old striker that had a very high goal scoring rate in Austria to do this in Germany how surprised, and please don't tell me the same thing that Jesse Marsh told me on Saturday, that he knew that this was going to happen, but how surprised were you? It was kind of inevitable, I have to say. There's something, there's some star quality about Haaland that just makes these things happen. And there's, there are hardly any players in European football at the moment that have that to the level that Haaland has that. And I think that's something that's, that's very cool about him. He's got that mixture of like all-round talent, yeah. He's, uh, he's, he's young, he's fresh, he's arrogant, he's super self-confident. He's got it. He's just got that, that star quality, that X factor. And somehow this, it, it was like it was written for him, you know, coming on at 3-1 down, getting three goals in 23 minutes or something. It, it had to be. It had to be Highland. It had to happen. And there was a sense of inevitability. Every time I looked at my phone, I was traveling back from a game here in Austria. Every time I looked at my phone, it says, yeah, Dortmund have scored. You're waiting for the goal scorer. You already know who it was. So, Chris, um, how surprised were you? Um, <laughs> very. Um, not because of his calibre um, of, of goal scorer, because I saw firsthand with my own eyes at Anfield what a brilliant player he was when um, Liverpool um, hosted Salzburg and they almost made the most remarkable of recoveries. Um, I was just completely shocked, Manu, because I watched the first half in a bar in Leipzig. This was Saturday's afternoon game. Um, Leipzig was the, it was the late kickoff, so I could only watch until half time before I walked down to the stadium. Um, and Dortmund were getting beat one nil at the time, and they hadn't played particularly good. Um, and, and Augsburg should have been maybe a couple more ahead. So um, when I saw the recovery um, of, of just what Haaland's introduction did, I was shocked. 
Um, when Dortmund went 2-0 down, I wasn't surprised. 2-1, that's probably the most Dortmund thing you can happen straight after it was to go 3-1 down. Um, and, and that's then when um, when the magic happens, I suppose. I mean, introduced on the 56th minute and then you know goals later um, are just coming thick and fast. And whilst I was really surprised, that's purely because of, of the way Dortmund are playing Um and we've spoken a lot on this podcast about Dortmund's need for a striker, their inability at times to see game out. Um, I think they do have good game management. I think they attack very well. Defensively is a massive problem um, that this game highlighted again. But they can't seem to put games to bed. Um, you, know, you say Alcacer's made a glass. I say his, his legs are made of Weetabix. Pretty much the same thing. But now um, Haaland has shown why Dortmund wanted him. I think he's also shown it was the right decision. I know we're only, this is uh, this is a bit hyperbole because he played one game, but um, I think it's the right decision for him because he wouldn't have got um, he wouldn't have got this opportunity. I think at Leipzig he would have been down the pecking order. He certainly wouldn't have got this opportunity in the Premier League. Um, although had he been playing, the, the level of opposition, level of defense is, is a little too much. Um, at the moment for him and I think he needed to come to the Bundesliga in order to carry on his development there's a reason why English players are flooding out of the Premier League and into the um, young English players are flooding into the Bundesliga because they want experience in a high quality league and um, Haaland has, has shown he's made the right choice and Dortmund have showed um, that they made the right choice by convincing him to join um, I have um I've said uh, off the record and this is still off the record I'm not putting it on the record I think he'll score 15 goals between now and the end of the season for Dortmund. Not just in the Bundesliga? Um, no, that is in all competitions. Oh, he's already three in, so... <laughs> so it's, good, it's a good shout. <laughs> it's a good start. I, I, I think you might not be too far off, especially if it's all competitions. I, I have to... I mean, I have an opinion on this too, but I want to put this into the round first. With Haaland now at Dortmund... They are seven points behind Leipzig. You know, that's, that's of course, the, the big one. They're only three points behind Bayern, which is maybe more important at this stage. Are we putting Dortmund back in the title challenger category? And I'm going to go to Tom first. What do you think, Tom? I would usually say no, but I think in this case, I'm going to say yes. There's something special about this kid. He's box office. He's absolute box office. And it would just be perfect. I, you can so see it. Dortmund winning a famous title. It's happened because Haaland's come in. His goals power them to the title. There's a great squad in place already at Dortmund. And I've never had the feeling more, as you kind of mentioned there before, or Chris mentioned, it, it was a missing piece of their puzzle. And it's, it's usually quite hard to tell. You know, you have to do a lot of analytics to know what kind of player a team needs. But it was so obvious that Dortmund were crying out for a player like this. He's come in. He might be one of the best people in Europe to do that job at the moment. And Dortmund have got themselves exactly the player they need. And you can see, you know, I, I said he's this box office player, you know, the way he made the signing and stuff, you know, posting online, the picture of himself at the airport with his dad could go anywhere in Europe, could go, you know, at the airport to where he, where's his destination going to be. He knows it. He knows that Europe's watching him and he's he's got the he's got the football world in the palm of his hand at the moment and he's so comfortable with that. And you don't see players like that very often. I think I think this guy's really got what it takes to to sort of encapsulate European soccer in, in, in the next 
10 years or so and, and really just take it by storm. And if Dortmund won the title this year, that would just be the, you know, it, it's, it's reminiscent of Lewandowski a few years ago at Dortmund for me. They've had all these false nines and I really like Paco Alcacer, but he sort of flirts with the edge of the area in a way that Haaland just, he's straight in there and that's exactly what, what, what Dortmund have been crying out for. And his hat trick was a demonstration of exactly what he can do because yes, it wasn't, um, you know, a couple of those goals were tap-ins, but also the third goal showed he's got quick feet in the box. He's got a good eye for surprising the goalkeeper with an early shot. He just gets in the area and he's so direct with what he does. He's, he's a bully. He bullies defenders and, and he gets goals. And I wouldn't be at all surprised to see your prediction come true on the record of, of Highland getting 15 goals. He's already on the way. Who knows? Yeah, Chris, what do you think? I'm going to reserve judgment, Manu, um, because I'm there on Friday night. And if they can beat Cologne uh, and he gets a couple, I'm going to say yes. Um, but I've seen Dortmund do this too many times. Um, they will go out and, and win where they shouldn't have done and, and someone will have a fantastic game and the next week they'll be awful and get beat. Um, I can't see Cologne doing it, but I would like to see one more um, to see if they can if they can go back on the title. But I am in agreement that this is completely what Dortmund needed um, and it could power them back up the table. I just think it might be the most Dortmund thing at the end of the season for them to miss out on the title by three or four points and and be like, where was this title lost? It was early on in the season. Um, but yeah, Haaland is, 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 is a joy to watch. I cannot wait to hopefully see him in person um, this Friday coming, Friday night, under the lights in the Signal Aduna Park. It's got all the ingredients. I love going there. You'll know that. And um, Tom, I'll let you know, I do love I do love going to Signal Aduna Park. It's my second favourite place to go outside of Anfield. Um, I, I love it. I genuinely can't wait to see him. I'm so excited to see him in the flesh. Just hopefully he will get a start. I think he has to start now, surely. Yeah, watch out for those Norwegian journalists when you go. There's going to be an army there. But um, my prediction, I, you know, I, I heard the comparison to Robert Lewandowski quite a bit. And I'm with you, Chris. I am going to reserve judgment because there was a guy named Michi Bachuai who did a similar thing in his first game and, um, you know, was was considered the new, the new, um, the new savior of Dortmund. And we all know how that ended up. And I don't even know where Bachuai plays these days. So, um, going to reserve judgment. I don't think Haaland is like Bachuai, and I think the story is going to work out very different. I do think that they are now a title contender again whether it is whether it was going to be enough um, because there was a lot of points dropped in the first half remains to be seen but the, the star power that he brings Tom is so quite right and it actually reminds me of a little bit of Zlatan Ibrahimovic in a lot of ways it's very comparable to that just that amount of confidence that he has and the build that he has the way he bullies uh, the fact that he can pretty much decide games on his own, um, you know, that is that is quite remarkable. And I, I think maybe the one question that I have with that is how is that going to work in the long run in terms of integrating him into a team play? Because one that's one of the criticisms that Slatan often faced is that he will single-handedly carry an entire team, but to put him into an entire team, chem, fit him into a team chemistry, can be difficult at times. So I'm really curious to see how Dortmund carry this. 
And I do think Chris is, is modest with his prediction. I, I'm certain he will get 15 goals in all competitions by the end um, of this season. Now, boys, I do want to move this on, though, because one team, and Chris, you were there. You saw them once again, um, and they have probably the hottest striker in German football right now, which means a lot, considering that the name that I'm going to say now is not Robert Lewandowski. One team that could really spoil Dortmund's chances or anyone's chances of winning the title is RB Leipzig. I, I watched this game from TV. It's remarkable to watch Leipzig at times this year, isn't it? I mean, you spoke to Tyler Adams after the game, and um, I, I got the audio. There's a story up on Transfermarkt. I know you did something for Forbes. Is the fact that they just absolutely smashed Union in the second half and if they play like they did against Union, is anyone going to stop RB Leipzig on their way to the title, Chris? If if they play the way they did second half, um, I think they could. Uh, they they won't be stopped. First half, um, they were a little ropey, but I'm going to put this down, Manu, to coming out of the winter break um, because when we talk about Bayern, I think they were similarly the same yesterday against Hertha Berlin. Um, it was a little bit. Definitely winter pause mode for me. I did speak to Tyler Adams after, asked if it was a little bit of rustiness. He, he did laugh at that concept. He just said he didn't think it was, um, he, he didn't think they were on point in the first half. He, he didn't think they, they'd got all their their right formations, their right moving. The ball wasn't being played particularly well. The passing were off, the, the possession was off, the turnovers were particularly poor. But once they came out of that, uh, they, they're a joy to watch. You know, a, a lot of people don't like them. If you just park that for a moment, the, the football they play on the pitch um, is, is breathtaking. It, it took about half an hour, Manu, and then and then Union Berlin were on the back foot for pretty much the rest of the game. And, and that second half performance, especially um, the, those two goals they scored in quick succession, um, Werner's opener, which, which was technically a beautiful goal, um, and Sabitzer's was very scruffy, poacher-like. But what it did show is that they could blitz sides very, very quickly. Um, and I, I asked Tyler Adams that afterwards, is this something we can get, um, is this something we can expect from Leipzig for the, for the rest of the season to go out and blow sides away? Because this is what the best teams do. They they can just pick off teams very quickly um, and, and it's game over. And, and this is what... Um, Leipzig did. Um, yeah, they, they were phenomenal to watch. Their football's exceptional. The work rate at the top of the pitch. And he said Werner is scoring some good goals. Um, his second one was is equally as good. And, but it's his work rate. He, he's so hard a worker. Um, Sabitzer was the same. Um, Christopher Nkuku in the middle was excellent. Adams was brilliant, obviously. The the back four, Upper Meccano, is just shockingly good um they're gonna have a real job to keep hold of him um next season um, but if they win this title i think they can keep hold of some of their players um but yeah timo Werner is the hottest property um in in german football at the moment um he may be overtaken by Haaland eventually on on column inches but yeah everybody's talking about timo Werner and quite rightly um and julian nagelsmann's built a wonderful side um i'm I'm shocked he's done it so quickly, um, and and that's just a kudos to him, I think. But yeah, the the, the way they played was, was was beautiful football, and if Dortmund can't be that side to catch them, I, I can only see it being Bayern at the moment, Manu. I, I genuinely think that. Yeah, Tom Timo Werner, 
first player in the Bundesliga. And we can now say this officially because it took Robert Lewandowski until the 71st minute of his game to get to 20 goals. Timo Werner, the first man to reach 20 goals in the Bundesliga, he did it in 18 games. Um, that's remarkable, isn't it? Timo Werner is so good to watch right now. And one thing that wasn't really mentioned in there is the fact that they're also looking really good in the Champions League at the same time as, as putting together this great Bundesliga campaign. And that is something that is not to be taken for granted. You know, we'd quite understand if they weren't at Champions League pedigree yet. And then in the group stages, they were still the same really exciting Leipzig to watch. Um... This is John Grills from the Creepy Podcast. With Best Christmas Ever on AMC+, Plus, every day feels like Christmas morning. From new holiday favorites like Elf and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation to modern iconic family classics like The Polar Express and The Year Without a Santa Claus, you can spend the holiday season opening only the good stuff. Plus, you get a stocking stuffed with highly acclaimed AMC series like The Walking Dead and Mad Men, new series like Gangs of London and The Walking Dead World Beyond, and you're also getting your favorite iconic Christmas movies without having to search. AMC Plus is available on all your devices. Sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. I can't talk too much about Timo Werner without, you know, I have to talk Marcel Sabitzer. My position as an Austrian football journalist won't allow me to have a big smile on my face when I look at the Bundesliga and see how many good Austrian players are, are really doing well in all the big clubs. And, you know, in, in all the, the clubs that we're talking about for a story, there's uh, there's usually at least one Austrian doing well at the moment in those clubs. And uh, Leipzig is certainly no difference. Uh, Sabitzer scored some great goals this season. The one on the weekend wasn't uh, wasn't one of his finest, but... Still, really good to see him him do so well. And yeah, Timo Werner will rightly take the plaudits, but lovely to see Sabitzer backing him up as well. Yeah, is that what title contenders need, guys? Um, you know, Werner is now on 20. Lewandowski is on 20. Dortmund have Haaland now, a proven goal scorer. Is that going to be the three teams that are going to, to basically fight it out for the title in the end of the day? Because they have that proven quality and again this is this is for the entire round and Chris I'll give you that question first yeah I think we're starting to see the emergence now of of three quality sides that have got the ability to go all the way um Tom I'm glad you picked up Marcel Sabitzer there he was one of my three um stars to watch of the match had Timo Werner um Mikhail Parson for Union Berlin who I thought played very well until he was taken off um, and then Union promptly leaped a third goal after that. So Marcel Sabitzer was the other one. Um, and it, not for the first time, I saw him play up at, at Werder Bremen. Um, he was excellent. He was wonderful on match day one, the, the flip side of this fixture up at Union Berlin, um, where, where Leipzig were just phew, on top form again that day. Um, and, and they are powered by Marcel Sabitzer. And He's, he's he's just such a a good player to watch. He he worked really hard. It, just the way he stroked the ball round on the weekend, it, almost nonchalantly. Just it, it just looks like a, a golfer just 
casually with a, a little bit of a back lift and just knocking through the ball and the, some of the, the pinpoint accuracy he's got and, and he's a strong unit as well so he can, he can put himself about and yeah he was we was one of the stars but started slowly um, and that's why I, I'm saying Manu because once the rustiness of the winter break came off everyone um, in white of Leipzig was was just a joy to watch um but Sabitzer, yeah, most definitely. And, and yeah, right of you to pick him up, Tom, as well. I think in terms of Leipzig winning the title this year, there comes a time for all clubs, you know, when you're up at the top and the season starts to starts to come towards the end. Any club that's never won the title kind of reaches that point where they look down and they realise we're on the cusp of something quite incredible here. And it's how you deal with that, which which will determine, you know, what, what becomes of Leipzig, essentially, potentially even in the next, you know, in the next generation, in the next, like, five to ten years. If they win a title, they could easily establish themselves as a club uh, who are really up at the top end of German football for, for a long, long time. Um, and this year is as good a, as good a year as any. A really open title race. They're looking really, really good. And I think it's the, the alliance of players like Werner and players like uh, Upamecano as well um, that actually that, that can really win you the titles the fact that you've just got quality all over the pitch um, you wonder whether they'll they'll yeah will, will they look down will they will they struggle to get over the line in a way that Bayern have always got this psychological advantage because you know they sort of start every Bundesliga season with with one hand already on the trophy um, and, and it's, it's a barrier that other teams have to break through and even we look at the Premier League and there's even that with Liverpool this year, you know, it would be their first ever Premier League title if they do it. And somehow, even though to, to an outsider, it would seem inevitable, but because they've never actually got over the line yet, it's like they can't, they can't look to the future just yet. And, and it'll be really interesting to see what happens. But Leipzig, uh, I, I don't know what the feeling is exactly in, in Germany, but obviously it's something we talk about a lot, given that, I'm down here in, in Austria and, and Salzburg, you know, Red Bull Salzburg also dominate the league here. And it's a bit of a sore spot for a lot of fans. And I don't know what it's like for you guys personally, but for me as a, as a neutral journalist here, I, I like all the Austrian teams when they play in Europe and I'm neutral when I cover the league. And so I can kind of understand why people don't like a Red Bull club, but I can also, I also I can't really understand it for a lot of ways. I, I see what they've done and, and I, do, I do see the issues there. But at the same time, I think that's really different when you're a fan. You know, if you're a fan of a club who don't win league titles because a Red Bull club win those league titles, it's easy to, to have, uh, have gripes about that and get, get really bitter about it. But I don't have the history of, of being a rapid Vienna supporter, for example. I don't see the years of... of of support for, for example, Dortmund or someone get, you know, getting their hopes crushed by, uh, by a Red Bull team winning the league. So I, I find it's sort of easier as a neutral to, to admire a club like Leipzig or like Salzburg and just look at the cold facts of like how well they've put together that team and, and how well they're doing in their respective leagues. And I think for a passionate supporter of another team in the league, it's, it's a bit more difficult to stomach. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Tom, because it's um it's one that Manu and I chatted over for for a long time. My view is that 
I'm a football journalist that covers the Bundesliga, and and yes, I do have affinity for Borussia Dortmund. Um, but and I've I've spoke this on the record, off the record. If I go and watch Borussia Dortmund and they get beat four one, I, I leave the stadium in the same mood as as they did if they were to win four. If they were to win four one, it doesn't matter to me. You transpire that to Anfield, and it's a different. It's a different, complete different story. I do get the whole um, fifty plus one issue. Um, they haven't broken. Um, any rules within the the DFB um, structure, but they have massaged them to their own potential. But it does make me laugh when I see um, other fans um, complain. I get why they do it, but it, ma- it makes me laugh. For instance, um, Borussia Dortmund, part owned by Puma, part owned by Signal Aduna, big shareholders in, in that company. Uh, Bayern Munich, funded by... BMW or Audi now it is. Um, there's a proportion of fans that sit on the side of the stadium that wear a white poncho. They get free tickets and they make the Deutsche Telekom tea in the stand. Um, Schalke, heavily backed by by Russian um, Gazprom, buying themselves go to Qatar. That's that's probably something we could talk about even more at great length. You, you know the moralistic views that football fans have is always towards other clubs whilst maybe turning their back on, on some of the others. You get it in England. Manchester City just run by oil. Liverpool fans especially say that, and I get why they say it. Liverpool sponsored by Stanford Chartered, who have, who have been in trouble for, sponsor, for laundering money for terrorist organisations. So no club in the world is completely clean. There's always an association somewhere to some wrongdoing. Um, but I think RB Leipzig get a lot of stick um, purely because of, of where they've come from. But if you take time to go to the city, um, it's completely different. They've changed it. Look at how many 4G pitches now exist in Leipzig, purely because Leipzig have paid for those to be, okay, yeah, they want to go and watch all the local kids play and pick them up and, and put them through their academy. That's fine. But they're pumping money into the community. It's not just a pet project for a shake, or it's not just a pet project for an oligarch um, to come over and, and plough money into a club. They are actually changing things in the city. Um, and I do get it. I, was on, I wasn't on. I was on the march as, in, as an active member of it, but I walked with the Union fans to the stadium partway before I needed to go to the Gents, and that's dip out of it. Um, and, and, yeah, they're not happy about the way that Leipzig are funded, but they're not going anywhere. Um, and it, it's just that it's a getting to be for me. It's getting to be a broken record at times, and I do know why it winds people up, and I do know why people are very vociferously against it. But the same token, they're now not going anywhere. So, so what do we do? Do we just kick around the same stories time and time again until until what they get naturally absorbed into the system in in twenty, thirty, forty years time when there's somebody else? They're just the latest Hoffenheim who are the latest people to take over from Bayer Leverkusen, who are completely different, but people look at it the same way as that. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I try and be as neutral as possible. I know, Manny, you're the same, probably maybe a little bit more so, because your home um, team is 1860 Munich, who are, who are backed by a rather large investor. Yeah, and that was a disaster. But... Um... <laughs> I am for 50 plus one, but I also am not, I don't get why people complain about Leipzig, but then, you know, support a team that trains in Qatar or, and, you know, this, the samples that you used, I think they're plenty and they underline why the, the hippo, the hippo, the hypocrisy criticism of a lot of fans. It's just, it, it baffles me at times, but, you know, to sum it up, I, I think Germany is in dire need 
of another team that most people hate to love or love to hate, you know, like Bayern. Uh, and that gets us to the topic or final topic is Bayern, the team that is the most popular team in Germany, but also the most hated team in Germany. And Chris, you saw there the game against Hertha. In the end, it was a pretty decisive victory uh, by Bayern. A Bayern side that still seems very much incomplete considering all the injuries that they have, considering the, the players that they're missing, and considering the debate that they have between the head coach Hansi Flick and Hassan Salihamidzic about signing new players. Now, on the pitch, it looked pretty good though, didn't it? It did. It looked very, very good. Once they came out of winter pause mode, um, the most successful German team, you know, maybe they suffered from a little bit of a, of a post-pause problem. Um, certainly in the opening 15, 20 minutes, it was a, it was a very open game. Hertha caused a number of problems. Um, Selke had an excellent chance to, to score. He didn't. Then Lewandowski missed a sitter. Um, he, he put it wide of the post where he would, for him, he would have he scored easily. And, and I then thought, oh, maybe um, Bayern are going to have a bit of a bad start to the, to, the, to, the, to the second half of the season. But they came out second half and blew them away. And, and it was um, kick-started for me, Manu, by um, Coutinho, who just grabbed the game by the scruff of the neck, twisted and turned on the outside of the box, created the first real chance of the second half. Um, and then Bayern didn't look back after that. Um, and they looked every inch um, the champions that they are from then on. Um, Goretzka was excellent. Thiago was wonderful. Um, Ivan Perisic was just... Poof, I can see now why they wanted to get him and they brought him in, um, even if it was a choice B behind um, Sane, who they wanted originally, or did they want Werner as well to, to get that player um, and for what he did. Um, and Thomas Muller answers all the questions time in, time again. Is he uh, is he too old now? Is this Bayern team going through transition? Has he reached a point where he needs to leave and move on and let Bayern be Bayern? And, and he answers those questions emphatically time and time again. And it was just a really good display um, by Bayern's second half and one that made me leave the Olympiastadion and think, oh, yeah, I think we're going to have a title fight on our hands between two clubs now. Yeah, I would never, ever count as Bayern side out. I, I think I, I, when I saw the first half, I had, had some concerns with this team. I still think that they, I think they could benefit from a signing. Um, I think Chris, in my opinion, that title challenge will really much depend on how deep they go in the Champions League. I think if they go out in the Champions League early and they're, they're facing Chelsea, then um, the all their focus will be on the Bundesliga and they will be just fine. But if they also have to contend with the Champions League, that squad is just not deep enough, in my opinion, anyways. Yeah, I mean, the the Champions League is the holy grail for them at the moment. Um, the dominance they've had in German football, and you're going to go all the way back now, and we can say all the way back to, what, 2013, the last time they won it. Um, they were very unlucky reading meeting Real Madrid two of those seasons I think they could have gone on obviously then they drew Liverpool um, early doors last season um, they've had a little bit of bad luck um, yeah I'm with you they are they are in an injury or so where you only have to look at the bench um, to see that um, that they had their best 11 out on Saturday uh, you know Hansi Flick has only got the players he has at the moment um, it's going to be difficult for them but 
Tom said if how Leipzig going to cope when they get towards that march to that title what are they going to do we've seen teams slip before it's just it's that mental barrier whether they can break through this Bayern side can do it um, you know they, they've done it before um, for the last long time you know they're reigning champions they know what it takes um, but I do think that the Champions League is is the one that they want to go for but Bayern being Bayern they could they could do both and don't forget the Pokal as well yeah, a triple is always on the cards. Well, boys, that does it. Um, I'm glad the Bundesliga is back. I'm glad we had Tom on from the other Bundesliga podcast. Tom, what do you guys have planned in the next little while? The floor is yours to sort of present what you guys are up to, what you're doing, and where people can find you. Well, we're still uh, knee-deep in snow here in Austria, and uh, our winter break is much, much longer than the one in Germany. So I'm looking north with envy and I'm really glad to have the opportunity to talk about some of these games uh, with you today because we've got another 19 days, I think, to wait until uh, the Austrian Cup and then the Austrian League comes back. So, yeah, we'll be back with more podcasts. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and on Instagram at Other Bundesliga. We're just working on um, otherbundesliga.com at the moment as well and some Patreon stuff to support because, yeah, loads of people from around the world, uh, including, yeah, definitely North America and around Europe, have uh, suddenly become really interested in Austrian football. And we're really proud that we've been able to help spread the word a little bit about uh, the Austrian national team and about the Austrian league as well and all the exciting stuff going on in here. And you've got to remember, we've still got Salzburg coming up, massive game against Frankfurt in the Europa League. Lask is still in the Europa League as well, doing really, really well. Glasner's old side. Um, so there's loads of cool stuff going on here for 2020. Austria off to the Euros as well. I'll be in Bucharest in summer to watch some of their games. Um, yeah, look, at the moment, we're we're still on our break. We're still putting our feet up, but we'll be back with a bang in a few weeks. So, yeah, keep a lookout at other Bundesliga. Yeah, and please give them a follow. Uh, give Tom a follow. Give the other Bundesliga a follow. Um, check out their podcast. It's top quality stuff. And, yeah, Tom, we should probably collaborate ahead of the Frankfurt game. I'm actually going to be in Germany for, for both legs. Uh, I'm really excited to see see those games. I'm really curious to see how Salzburg are going to get on with all the players. I spoke to Jesse Marsh on Saturday. That interview will be out um, on transfermarkt.us and then of course we also will have it on transfermarkt.de and transfermarkt.com and all the other outlets as well that you know Transfermarkt has because it's a never-growing platform and we're really excited to have that ex uh, exclusive opportunity to speak with Jesse Marsh. So keep an eye out on that. Uh, Chris, I know you had some exclusive stuff on too. Um, the You spoke to Tyler Adams. That's the latest on Forbes. Um, and what else do you have to plug? Yeah, that's that's out on Forbes now. Thanks for that. Yeah, I spoke with um, Tyler Adams and, and an interview with him, um, just how he thinks Bayern can go on uh, sorry, he thinks how Leipzig can go on. He doesn't think Bayern can win a league. He thinks Leipzig can go on and win the league. Um, and I wanted to to find out from him how he believes he can do that. And that's that's on Forbes.com. You can find that pinned uh, my profile on Twitter, which is Chris78Williams. And then, yeah, I've got some um, some stuff for Forbes coming out in the next week. Um, I've got uh, OTT, Over the Top. Are we getting burnt out with that? 
and talking about football subscriptions and how we've gone from um, in the UK especially and, and parts of the US from one real big TV network, be that Direct TV or Spectrum, and how it's all filtered out now. We're going to cut the cord and we don't need to pay all these subscriptions, but yeah, we do because there's 15 subs we need to have to different apps to watch stuff. So are we getting burnt out with that? Um, and then this month, and I promised them, and I'll promise you, Manu, and everybody listening, there will be the um, interview with Alexander Jobs to come out um, about Schalke's US scheme on how they're taking soccer into the heartlands of America and using Western McKenney as an influence in, in America to get soccer um, as big as it can be. And that's not just for their benefit. It's how they're interacting with American communities and, and looking after kids who come from difficult backgrounds and, um, and trying to make their lives better. So, yeah, that'll be on Forbes as well. Yeah, exciting stuff. Well, guys, that is it from this week. We are back next week once again, hopefully with Bryce Dunn, who's going to join us again. And until then, auf Wiedersehen. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.